Well, I'd like to welcome you, O future teachers of mindfulness meditation. I'm Tara Brock. And I'm Jack Cornfield. Warm greetings to you. To support you in your training, we've created a special podcast series of the best wisdom teachings from previous years of our teacher training. Now, we know that sometimes simply listening and not having to watch a screen is a really good way to open, receive, and learn. The wisdom you'll hear is timeless, so while you may hear references to time, you'll easily connect with the truths that are being shared. May this rich selection of some of our favorite training sessions deepen your understanding of mindfulness and compassion and bring a new dimension to your teaching. We hope you enjoy these special recordings. Many blessings. Welcome everyone to another live session for the Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Certification Program. I'm Christy Peoples. I'm a producer here at Sounds True, and I am proud to be your host today. Today, we're fortunate to have Tara Brock joining us for a special conversation on the topic of well-being in the midst of a traumatized world. We're going to have time for some questions in the second half of the session. And without further ado, I want to welcome Tara. It's always so great to be with you. Well, thank you, Christine. I love your welcoming. And to be uh, all inclusive, I saw some four legged, so I want to include them. <laughs> it always makes me happy. <laughs> I've got my own right here. Yeah. yeah so, namaste, friends. Oh my gosh, it's so, it just gladdens my heart to see you come on in your little boxes here. <laughs> but, you know, I, I feel, I mean, you're with me all the time and I, I get to hear a lot through the mentors. You know, really, this so much dedication. Um, I hear about the challenges. I hear about how much evolving and growth is coming, is happening. So we're going to, take some questions in a bit, but I wanted to take a few moments to give a little bit more context to our theme of the day. And it's actually a, a very radical proposition, and we find it in Buddhism and in really all the wisdom traditions that we have the potential, no matter what the circumstances to find inner well-being. And, and in Buddhism, it's described as sukha, you know, the, the happiness that's not hitched to a cause, happy for no reason, which is such a great phrase. But true happiness has this, um, has the flavors of contentment, of peace, of trust. And, and the Buddha said, I wouldn't be teaching you about this if it were not possible. So what it really means is that even when we're dying, when we're losing loved ones, even if we're facing, you know, a catastrophe for life on our planet, even if we're violated, oppressed, you know, even when there's grief or fear, we can still have an underlying sense of all rightness, of well-being. You know, in mystical 
traditions and the perennial philosophy, Buddhism, this felt sense of well-being arises from a direct realization, our trust in what's called, could be God or oneness or spirit or formless presence, loving awareness, you know, all the words that, that are pointing to this uh, numinous, boundless reality beyond cognition and beyond these changing body minds. And, and so it's really um, the direct experiencing of that through our practice, through our living, that, that cultivates deep well-being. I wanted to share with you that I was talking about two months ago uh, with Van Jones, who some of you know of as a news commentator. He's a good friend. And he was describing how this capacity for inner well-being has carried African-Americans through the centuries of violent domination. And he described it really as a kind of joy, a this courageous joy that no matter what happens, th there's this inner strength, this power to raise the spirit. And, and it's expressed in this well-known hymn. Some of you are familiar with it called Hallelujah Any Anyhow. Some of you probably know. I'll give you just the, the, a verse, which is, God's been good to me. No matter what comes my way, I'll lift my voice and say, Hallelujah Anyway. Hallelujah, anyhow. Hallelujah, anyhow. No matter what comes my way, I'll lift my voice and say, Hallelujah, anyhow. And that's through the worst. That's through the worst circumstances. So, uh, Mark Nippo, uh, another friend who, poet, many of you have heard of, he, he talks about this well-being in terms of faith. And I want to read you something he wrote that, that really struck me. He says, some days I wake with a cloud around my heart and it dulls everything except the weight I carry deep inside. Yet just because I can't make it to the light today, doesn't mean that the light has vanished. In truth, the heart, like the earth, is continually blanketed by ever-changing atmospheres that come and go between who we are and how we live our days. So faith, it seems, can be defined as the effort to believe in light when we're covered by clouds. And though it feels like the sun will never come again, the truth is it has never stopped burning its light. In fact, its heat and warmth is burning steadily right now on the far side of whatever cloud we're under. I feel like that points to it really powerfully, that there's this quality of trust or faith that beyond the immediate that we may be caught in, there's a, there's a light and that we'll reopen to that experience. Um, for me, a, a powerful expression of that is from uh, spiritual teacher Punjaji, which is, love is always loving you. I just love that one. So you might sense for yourself right now, you might pause and just sense 
does well-being, this happiness not tethered to conditions, uh, feel possible to you? Is it something you experience? Can you sense how tastes of pure presence, of real love, deepen the trust in it? So these are just some questions to just to consider. And of course, the inquiry for us together is how do we guide ourselves and others, especially through difficult times, in discovering this inner freedom. And I want to name that, you know, as with every expression of freedom, there's appearances of well-being or postures of of well-being or happiness that are actually not the real thing. And, And they arise, I think, mostly from dissociating, from really cutting off from difficult experience. So I'll give you some examples. It may be that someone's taking their refuge in a mental world, that they live mostly mentally. And then they say, well, I'm just holding the long view. And, you know, I'm not so distressed about climate change. The Earth's gone through massive extinctions before ice ages. You know, life's resilient. Maybe not the current forms will continue, but there'll be new forms. So that's just an example, you know, of, you know, the the posture of well-being about, you know, ease with things because it all may be true, you know, probably is true, and yet it bypasses our very natural and real feelings that arise around loss of what we love. Does that make sense? I'm looking. You know, similarly, we may see other people suffering and just say in some way, oh, well, it's a part of the waking up process. It's, on, it's part of the path. It's like we're removing ourselves from the realness of the pain. And that's not true well-being. Another way is by fixating on affirmations and being like optimistic, which is really different than hope. You know, optimism is kind of like a a grasping on, a narrow grasping on that things are going to be a certain way. Whereas hope just keeps open to the possibility of what can unfold. So we might be, you know, fixing on affirmations about in a way that tries to comfort ourselves, but bypassing the real mix of joy and sorrow that needs to be felt in our human hearts. So this is the point, that true well-being doesn't manage or avoid or fixate. It doesn't try to get away from painful feelings. There's a, a description of Leonard Cohen, many of you know of him, a singer, songwriter, poet, Arthur, and his the his real well-being, his courageous way of meeting life. And I want to read you this description. It's written by a friend of mine who's also writer, teacher, Catherine Ingram. And here's what she says. She says, Leonard's special genius was his ability to communicate both the sorrow and the beauty of the world, even in the same sentence. He never looked away from either, not even in his final months when pain racked his body, he had a twinkle in one eye and a tear in the other. Uh, That just really gets me. 
that that's 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 what well-being is about it's that that openness to it all so i think enough for me i i really want to hear from you i want to hear uh the wonderful questions came in and we're, we're going to draw on some of them and have a chance to just have a little back forth about what's on your mind and in your heart so christy Thank you, Tara. I would like to invite Sarah Pellegrini to ask her question. And I also wanted to let everybody know that there have been some pre-selected questions. And so in the event we have enough time to go through all of the pre-selected questions, then we will be inviting you to raise hands. But right now we wanna work with uh, Sarah Pellegrini, please. Providing she's here. Sarah, if you're here. All right, well, let's move to Svetla Morrison. And Sarah, if you come, if you happen to come in or you're finding your way, just let me know. But Svetla Morrison, if we can hear from you, and we would love to. Don't they have to speak in order to come on screen? Hello. There we go. Can you hear me? I'm yes. sorry. Oh, yes, let me just. Can. Okay. Yes. Hello. Hi. Hi. Oh, I'm so sorry. We're in the middle of traveling. I didn't expect my name to be called. Um, thank you so much. Uh, I was really, I, I honored the opportunity really to ask my question, Tara, because it was really you that came to mind when, you know, uh, the experience that I described in the submitted question popped. So I would love to hear from you. So a couple of weeks ago, my daughter hurt herself really badly and that in, resulted in a surgery. However, in that moment between knowing exactly how bad it is and having a clear path of what to do, you know, that moment of the unknown when a parent's fears tend to bubble to the extreme, right? Um, uh, I realized like like two things happened. I felt like my all of my practice was thrown out the window. First of all, just really like everything was gone. Like everything I was practicing, everything that I knew. And yet, in the middle of all this, you know, strong emotions mixed with like fear and guilt and um, you know this grasping, you know, for what could it have still been if this had not happened and what, all the what ifs, you know how those situations go. Um, I, I realized that I was able still to pull myself away from it and, and really observe them as they're happening um, in the middle of, of, of those emotions. I was still able to pause and to recognize there is grasping and there is striving for different outcome. And there's, you know, the fear and there's the guilt. Um, and I realized, well, not probably all of my practice went out the window <laughs> after all. 
and it made me feel like a little like baby practitioner like really like having to have done only these first few steps that have offered me that little space in between right like offered me that pause moment um to be able to distance myself from all this that was happening right now and my inability to really be present for what is happening right at this moment like I was all over the place the past and the future uh, but not in the present moment however I couldn't help but also wonder you know what um and I directly thought of you um first of all as, you know my teacher through this training but also as a mom yourself yeah. um what would Tara you know how would Tara have related to all this or any other more advanced practitioner really when I said Tara in my head I really meant any advanced practitioner I was just wondering and not to compare myself there was no comparison it was just like wonder staying on that path like how much more it would have offered me in this moment so that was just my wonder if you could just offer any insight in a way I don't know it's like a little indulging self-indulging peek into the future if I stay when I stay like I'm staying on the path like continuing with that what you know else would have have offered me that I you know been doing this for longer years like more years and like yes yeah well I love your question because really when we're thinking about how do you cultivate deep well-being I mean you got to look at where is it most challenging and oh my gosh for a parent and something happens to your your beloved that's the challenge. And if you asked me what would have happened to me, I would have said, yeah, my I, formal practice goes out the window. My mind gets all occupied and wrapped. Um, all the emotions get, I get hijacked, you know, all that stuff happens. So it's okay to compare in the sense of this is really human that when, when, our life and that by extension our child's life is threatened um, all of those feelings just take over and we might not be able to do a formal practice like you know quiet the mind and so on but there's an informal um, process that went on in you that's really not to be diminished which is there was some witnessing you, there was a place in you that was watching what was going on and aware there was awareness and that even though you said it's just a little you know that little is really the gateway to infinity really it's like okay so that's how much in those moments there were as mark nippo said the clouds were you know the atmospheric storms were there doesn't matter you know that there's still awareness and it doesn't feel good. I mean, those moments feel terrible, but that's okay too. It's almost like we can get this capacity to be okay that it doesn't feel okay. And if there's anything that happens as the path goes on, maybe a little longer of a pause, maybe a little more access to compassion, some place that's going, you know, feel held, feel held, you know, maybe, yeah, but I do, we do get hijacked. It's just that bit of awareness that becomes stronger and stronger that we have trust in. And that brings a real great comfort. 
So I feel like you're completely on the path that everything you describe really resonates. Yeah. You're, you're muted, but love to hear what you're saying. I, I just, uh, I just said, thank you. Thank you for that reflection. Yes. That was in way my, my, you know, that, that's what I was suspecting. Um, so it's really wonderful to hear it confirmed by you. Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. We're in it together on these things. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Svetla. We want to go back to Sarah Pellegrini. Um, I understand that she is here and was having some technical challenges. Hi, do you hear me? Yes. Great, thank you so much. Hi, I couldn't unmute myself before. I was just waving across the screen, the screen but it didn't work. Um, my question was around uh, safety, actually. I felt that it's very, very difficult for me to access this sense of well-being when I'm not feeling safe. And um, I've noticed that as well with, I'm in Africa right now, and I've tried to teach a little bit of what we've learned already to some people. And if those people don't have their basic needs met, it's very difficult sometimes to, you know, teach what we've been learning. So I wanted to ask you, you know, what, what is your experience with that? What, what are your insights? Yeah, that's pretty much. Well, it, it, the reason I really wanted that question with us is because it's true for so many people that um, bodily safety is at risk, you know, and that basic needs are not being met. So it's an incredibly deep inquiry to say, how do we what most serves people, given the different levels of feeling threatened and, and hijacked by, by fear? And um, so, so our guideline is compassion. Like, it's really what will help. And it doesn't mean that we would right away, if I'm talking to somebody who's feeling physically threatened by their situation, by, you know, what's going on in their life, I wouldn't right away talk about finding a deep refuge in in some infinite sense of formless presence. I, that's not where I would go right away. It's like I would be moving them in a direction of first, you know, how do we hold this with, with kindness and what's a way that will, will help you to find a little more balance in the midst of this so you can make the best choices for you. So it would start with resourcing you know, with what calms the nervous system, because that's what we can offer in those moments, like what will help. Maybe we can offer something more like being an ally and working actively in a more societal level, but on an a individual level, we can help people find ways to calm their nervous systems. We can help people find ways to hold themselves and each other with kindness. And, and here's what I found is that in a daily way, the entry to well-being always has to do with the heart. It always has to do with letting other people know that we care, helping other people to feel in some way connected to 
each other and the earth and the world. It always starts that way. And once there's a bit of that there, then we can start pointing to how there's a timeless quality to it, that something there, even when things aren't going the way we want them to in our lives, that we can find some comfort in. But first we have to take that step of compassion. Does that resonate for you? Ah, thank you for admitting. Um, yes, completely. And uh, it really speaks to how I felt as well, that it was almost a luxury for me to start speaking about those things and almost like also keeping alive the privilege and really feeling privileged to, you know, be speaking about well-being and everything I was awakening to when those people didn't really feel any, any kind of safety. Yeah, so that really resonates, uh, the heart the heart and the compassion and just being there and listening and yeah. Yeah, thank you. That's why it's kind of described as a pathway because we can't always go to the more, the ultimate truths. But what we can do is on a relative level, you know, when people are struggling is, is help them find ways to find more comfort. And then when there's some more comfort, start showing how that can lead them to something that is ongoing and available because it's beyond the changing circumstances. It's in them. So, yeah, thank, thank you, you, dear. Yeah, really pleasure, pleasure to see you and meet you. Yeah. Same. Thank you, Sarah. Let's move to Cheryl Herdsman. Cheryl. Hello. Hello. Yes, thank you for taking my question. Um, so actually the prior two answers do also um, relate to my question. Um, I am planning to um, do my practicum and to teach beyond that um, parents of children who are sick with either chronic or life-threatening illnesses. And, um, you know, in terms of teaching, you know, an introduction, like first introduction to mindfulness and how this can be helpful to them um, in their current circumstances. You know, when they have a child who, you know, is not just injured in the moment, but, you know, is sick for a long time, maybe for their whole lives or maybe won't even survive. Um, how, how do you make it relatable for them when it, their life, you know, it, you know, your kids, it's just, it's everything. And yeah. so when I, when I listen to some of, um, you know, some of your other talks and things, uh, it, I can imagine, you know, finding comfort in a lot of what you're saying in many circumstances I could imagine happening, but not so much when it comes to, is my child going to survive this? And when that's ongoing for a long period of time. Yeah, or if you already know that it's very unlikely your child will survive, right. how do you? How do these practices help us? And yeah. the 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 big thing that comes to mind because I have been in that situation with people is um, that there's a real power to teaching how to come into the moment and say there's only this, and and I often I'll share a story of a woman who knew she had one year to live 
and she had a one-year-old. So it was the flip, but it was important because for her, um, she had been a real, you know, high-level executive, very, you know, really fast-moving, very busy life. And here she is with a year to live and a one-year-old. And her mantra became, I have no time to rush. You know, I have no time to rush. And, and the way it relates to me, Cheryl, is that when we know we don't have much time, you know, whether we're told that our child won't, you know, won't live for, you know, a year or whether we're said, told this child's going to have a short life, the moments become precious and it becomes a real gift to be able to teach people, how do you get into the moment and say just this, just this breath, just this looking into this other being's eyes, just these moments, because, you know, there are going to be moments of love and beauty and mystery and love and moments of pain and sorrow. But how do we, how do we keep coming back so we can really be here for the moments? People really, really cherish knowing how to do that. And it is possible. You know, when we, I'll never forget accompanying my father and knowing he was dying. And it was like the future disappeared, the past disappeared. It was just, this is all we have. This is all we have. So that's one piece of it. That's one piece of it. There's another piece of it, which is, and and this I've found working with people who have lost their children and lost, uh, you, often it's teens, you know, mm. is to sense, because we start grieving before the actual loss when you're working, they're already grieving, to sense in that grief, we grieve because there's something we love, we love hugely passionately and a sense in that loving that there's something that can never be taken away and it's not possible for everyone right away but over time many people discover that they really can feel a kind of timeless presence and connection with the one they've lost they don't have to be here in form it's like my mother lived next door and my and she actually lived right here with us. And um, there were times I didn't see her for, you know, many hours and she was there and now I don't see her at all, but it's still like she wasn't in my view and I wasn't hearing her voice and I was loving her and now I'm still loving her. And there's something that can't be taken away after death, but it's hard to pay attention to that. So it's something else that we can guide people to, to paying attention to some formless connection and love that just can't be taken away. It doesn't take away the grief, but it gives a refuge. How does that, how does that sit for you? Um, I think there's just one more piece of it. Um, if you could maybe speak at all to, you know, living with the, the not knowing, you know, when, when maybe, the child will get better and maybe they won't. And maybe that goes on for years at a time of this, you know, desperate hoping that things are going to be okay. And just the, like the daily, um, you know, having to make decisions about, you know, how the child, the child's care and, you know, the chance that they'll live, but the chance that they'll die and just living with that uncertainty, I guess. Yeah. How, how do you teach to that? 
Yeah. Well, let me ask you first, have, has that, have you had that experience of living with uncertainty? Yes. Um, my daughter um, has a chronic illness and she's an adult now, but um, we had many hospitalizations and sometimes far from home. And so, um, you know, living in that kind of uh, you know, is she going to get better? Are we ever going to be able to go home? You know, and this was when I was not practicing and it was a really, you know, dark and desperate time that brought me to practice. Um, but I don't know how I, how would I have reached myself in, in that time to, um, to be able to bring myself, to be able to bring the people that I hope to teach any kind of um, opening. What's your sense right now? You know, if you just kind of check in and call on, your own wisest self like if if you're right now you know your younger self is going through all that uncertainty how would you guide her to hold it and be with it i think i would um you know try to focus on the staying in this moment you know, not jumping ahead into fears and what ifs. Um, you know, trying to find a little bit of um, light and trust, not trust that things will work out the way you want them to, but trust that things will be okay. I'm not sure though, because I, that feels a little bit like I'm not sure I would have believed that at the time. So in, in that pain, then what what could you have offered yourself in that fear? Mm. Yeah, I, I think um, what you were saying earlier about love and compassion. Um, I know that at that time I felt really isolated. And that was um, uh, that was definitely detrimental. So, um, you know, to be able to um, find um, that sense of connection and compassion with others might have helped lead me there. I know that at that time, kindness was the thing that broke me every time, you know, was the thing that made me cry every time because of how deeply it touched me. Um, so I think kindness and compassion might be a key. So I'm, I'm right there with you. And um, you know more now how to do that than you did then. But you're right, that's what breaks through. It's kindness. And we can guide people in holding the pain of uncertainty with kindness themselves just to say, you know, this hurts, this is scary. Um, you know, and just putting our hands on our hearts and, you know, so that we can, we can guide people on how to do that. And I think what you named was really important is the relational field, because when we're living in that fear, relationships are the care in a relational field is larger than the fear. It can hold it. The only thing big enough to hold fear is love. And it doesn't make it go away and it doesn't make it not feel bad, but it makes it tolerable. Mm -hmm. 
So, <laughs> and that's kind of what we need is we need to have just that bit of space as we were talking about right at the beginning, just a little bit of that awareness and it's really loving awareness. We can, we can be with anything and actually find a sense of okayness within it. Not that it feels good, but okayness. Yeah. So thank you for this and thank you for your wisdom you. on it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Really, really good to connect with you, Cheryl. Thank you. Thank you, Cheryl. I'd like to invite Key Wesley Burns next, please. Hi, Tara. I'm so grateful you're taking my question. Um, I am, I have been a body worker for a very long time. So COVID clearly has uh, put a stop into my career. Yeah. So um, I have been um, helping in a counseling center and um, I'm dealing with a lot of domestic violence. There's been a lot of escalating. I'm in um, rural North Carolina where it is predominantly uh, Medicaid and the food banks are very much overrun. Mm -hmm. Um, so um, I live on the unceded land of the Lumbee people. So I'm working for a Lumbee elder and um, I'm challenged. Um, I um, have this ability to sit, but it's, I guess my well-being um is, I'm sorry, I can't formulate it. So it's very emotional because I don't know how to bear the unbearable of looking into um, mother's eyes that can't feed their children when they've been so beaten down. And my heart, um, it just keeps breaking. And there's this part of me I can engage through my practice of... Um, seeing the beauty in it and being able to reflect strengths for that these women or children would come and play checkers and fall asleep in my presence. It's very sacred act of trust, but I'm feeling very defeated. My heart just keeps breaking and breaking and I wonder what's happening to all of us. And so it's a resourcing issue of my own well-being. I know I'm safe, but it's so many people. And so that's my question is how to deal with that sort of hopeless, defeated quality. I want to thank you because I'm, I'm feeling the realness of what you're bringing right here. And I think there's a lot of us that can relate to um, when we start opening to the realness of the suffering. And for you, it's very close in. You're working with it close in. Um, that it it shatters our hearts. And for you, it leaves a kind of defeated feeling. And I've my own experience is that when my heart is shattered and broken open, it doesn't always lead to a defeated feeling. Sometimes I feel really grim. It's just the oppressiveness of what's happening. I just do. And then I have to find a way to hold grim. It's, it's not um, defeated. It's grim for me. But um, so I'm wondering, let's just investigate a little what defeat, how defeated shows up for you. 
And um, you okay doing a little practice right now? I know you're saying yes, and I want to make sure you're on. I want want to keep you unmuted so I can ask you some questions as we practice. And really, it's for all of us, because this is really, um, it's very pervasive that there's, this is a traumatized world, and there is huge suffering. And how do we let it in, let ourselves be touched by it, and not end up contracting in in something that's not going to be useful for our own heart and spirit are the worlds. So I'm with you. And so if you take a moment to let yourself bring to mind a situation where you were with somebody and ended up feeling defeated. Yeah. So take some time to Let the realness of that situation be here. You might sense a person's face and what was being said and really what you were seeing, what you were taking in. And and then notice what goes on to end up leaving you feel that defeated feeling. So that when you are in touch with that, you can, just as we do with rain, just recognize it. Just even mentally whisper, okay, feeling defeated, energy gone. Is you experiencing that now? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And and let it be there. Don't, Don't make defeated wrong. Just say, okay, this is what is here right now. Allowing it. And then just begin to deepen your attention to it. And maybe start with what what you're believing when you're feeling defeated. And you can say it out loud, but keep your attention inside so you stay in touch with yourself. Yeah, there's this sense of... um, It's being overpowered by like a a lack of seeing by the system. Uh Uh-huh. You're overpowered by how there's a lack of seeing that, that the system is not perceiving, seeing, taking in what's going on. Yeah. And that feels overpowering. Yeah. Yeah. So, and is there a belief there? what's going to happen, what it means if, if the system doesn't see. I guess there's a, it almost feels life-threatening. You know, there's a real fear. It's a very, it's in the, you know, in the, in my womb space of of, um, fear. It's, What's going to happen? So take some moments to let that fear be there, because it sounds like along with defeat is there's there's a real sense of fear that's lying right under it, and and just sense okay, fear, fear, name it, no, and yeah, 
yeah, tell me what, what it's do you morphing. Mean? So it's morphing into this powerless, and then there's sort of this lividity, this rage arising about there's just this rage. It it's hot. Feels I feel heat in my cheeks and my back is starting to like sweat. I'm so angry. So give it permission. Just give it permission. It's like, in a way, let it rip. Let it let it be as much as it is. You know, yeah, full permission. And yeah. and take your time right here. Take your time and and feel it in your cheeks and feel the heat, and and let it even go through spread through the room and And let it be as big as it really is. And maybe it fills the whole East Coast. It goes past North Carolina and it's, you know. The earth. It's yeah. like out in the universe. I can see like I'm outside of the earth. It's everywhere. It's okay. Like so let it be everywhere and see how far out, how far out it goes and how dense and intense it is. So stay with it. This is, this is a kind of universal rage. Yeah, it goes beyond our universe. It's like, I feel like I'm out in the darkness with this like red orange ball of fire rage. Let let it keep going. Red orange ball of fire rage beyond, beyond and sense how far out it goes and how red and orange and intense and heated. And tell me what else you notice. So I'm I'm noticing my body feels very expansive and there's some shaking um, mm -hmm. from my back. It's almost like I was wearing a weight belt that was released. There's this open energy in, like where my kidneys are. Um, I feel differently, very much differently, more just my chest is open and there like that defeatedness doesn't it's really like it just feels more diffuse so sense what else is there in that openness in that space like what is it there's this love that wants to it, it's like love wants to express itself through my heart and it and this Contraction in my belly almost feels like it was preventing it from coming out. I, I can't really explain it, but there was like, it almost feels like glass that's shattered. So let's again. Sharp. Yeah. So let that, there's the shattering and there's that space and there's a love that wants to express through and just sense what happens when you keep allowing. When you give permission for what is really here to fill from the inside, fill everything with no limit. It's interesting because now the light that I see the pathway or it's not really a path, but there's that ball that sort of went out into 
space is now kind of this green blue, how I see, you know, the big blue marble. There's all this uh, softening, like with little leaves in it kind of everywhere. And just if you continue paying attention, just sense if there's something that this space, this green-blue wall and this energy wants you to know, wants you to remember what feels important. I feel um, large enough now to actually see the unbearable. I don't have to bear it alone, but I can do, I can express this love into that field of unbearableness and do what I can. It feels more empowered that I can. My presencing is just as powerful. There's a softening into that now, that, that it's not really fixing. Okay, so let's just, I just want to first honor you for staying with the way you just did. That's really beautiful. Yeah. Thank you for the practice. Yeah, and Kia, just to say that where you started and how that unfolded, was you were true to just exactly what was coming up? You know, it was, you were feeling defeat, so you didn't try to say, oh, I shouldn't feel defeat. You just went into that and buried in the defeat was the, you know, the fear and underneath the anger. And then, you know, inside of anger, anger means there's something we care about. But you had to let the anger really be there. So you really did the practice. Yeah. Thank you, dear. <coughs> Thank you, Key. I want to invite Priya Acharya with your question. Thank you for um, picking my question. So um, I've recently become aware of microaggressions around my vegan diet, Indian culture, and identification as Indian because, as I often hear, I don't look like it. So I've become aware um, of how I can determine when to do RAIN to recognize what's happening versus resourcing. So I, uh, when I'm just still waiting for you. I'm hearing your question and I'm waiting for you to be um, highlighted and I can't see you yet. I don't know if there's anything we can do about that right now. Um, I, I don't see. Oh, anything. there you are. Okay. <laughs> uh, good. It's nice to see you. Nice to see you again. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you for your question because a lot of, a lot of us are, are trying to sense, well, how do we navigate in the moment where, you know, we're feeling, we're feeling the wound or we're feeling the hurt or the anger, or whatever it is. And do we resource, do we do rain? And so I feel, I felt like that was a really um, valuable question. And my sense of it is that 
it always helps to do some resourcing. Like it, there's never too many moments of in some way um, offering kindness, saying, you know, it's okay, sweetheart, in whatever language and words we use, but in some way bringing some comfort always helps. Now we can get addicted to the comforting and then never really gain the wisdom of paying attention to what needs attention. So that's where it becomes an art. Does that make sense to you? It does. Um, yeah, it, it sounds like it's kind of like a balancing act. Um, but I, I was finding myself feeling kind of paralyzed in these moments, like, wait, what's happening? <laughs> you know, and then realizing, do I need to do more rain to recognize? Um, and I, I can see that there is also kind of like, as I was recognizing, then maybe I need to do some resourcing because I could, um, as I was recognizing, I could feel maybe more the need to resource. So just even as I listen to you, I can feel when you say the word paralyzed, and you're talking about when you're right in the thick of things and somebody says something or does something that is in some way making you invisible or denying or demeaning or something like that. So there's what you do in the moment and there's what you do when you have time to deepen attention. And when we're in the moment, um, is what is it you imagine in the moment would, instead of being paralyzed, bring you into a more resourced presence? What do you feel like you most need in the moment when that happens? Um, I think what I, th when I think of a specific incident um, around the, the vegan diet, I think part of me was a little lost in is, is this like a microaggression? Like I wasn't sure what was happening. I think I'm, I'm lost a little bit with seeing and hearing myself, like what my experience is versus what is what just happened? What did this person intend? What what? And so I'm. I think I'm. I'm. So that I guess is my sense of the paralysis because I'm. I'm. I'm confused with. I'm a little overwhelmed with trying to process what just occurred. What it, What are you feeling in the moment? Like, can you bring to mind the most recent time? that something happened where somebody in some way reacted to you around being a vegan and you had that happen? I think part of, part of what comes up is being minimized and kind of, um, I think in that moment of feeling of like being othered. And this actually occurred in, in a mentor group. So, um, and um, I felt, a suddenly a level of not feeling, I think, safety that I felt before was expecting to feel. And with my peers, I think feeling um, like singled out and kind of alienated from them because I had announced, you know, I'm vegan and I've shared in the forums and blah, blah, blah. But then the comment I heard after from my mentor felt, um, somewhat diminishing uh, because it, it didn't sound like a positive, supportive 
comment about the diet. Um, and so I, I didn't agree with it, um, but also didn't feel um, like I could say anything. Okay, so mm -hmm. how about this, that when things like that happen, the first step is not to interpret and sense, well, what did that person intend? And and where are they coming from? And is this really a microaggression? Not, not to go there right away, because that'll take you away from the place that most needs attention, which is something in you felt bad. You felt bad. And I can feel the emotion right now that it's still there. Is that so? It is. Yeah, it kind of brought up a lot. Um, I felt like I need to do so much rain on so many layers. Um, like, because it brought up cultural stuff, because I had also commented, like, you know, I was, I was raised Brahmin Indian, and, like, I don't think in the history of my ancestry, anybody has eaten meat. So that had come up, you know, um, so, um, yeah, I felt like, you know, I need to do rain on, on my culture, um, because I hadn't really been thinking about that. Um, so let's slow down here because yeah. instead of I have to do rain on this, this, and this, and this, <laughs> what's the because you because it you know then you could spend your whole life raining on things, <laughs> and then where are we? Um, what's the feeling that's really the hard? What's the hardest part of this for you? What is the inner feeling that goes on that's most difficult? Um. I think there was a level of being unseen. Okay. You know, along with being minimized, but I and think that, and that feel, and when you're not seen, and when you feel minimized, how does that feel? What what goes on in your body, in your heart? What what's the emotion that goes on? There was there was constriction, you know, shrinking. Yeah. Um, you know, it's getting invisible. Yeah. So that's your starting place. It's and you might not be able to do it on the spot with when you're in a group. But the starting place is to just name as best as you can what I'm feeling. I'm feeling, you know, diminished, demeaned, I feel hurt. I feel angry, I feel upset, I feel distressed, whatever comes close. And then keep company with your with your heart when you're feeling that woundedness because there's a wounding you know it's like whatever we want to whatever emotion is most accurate for you but there's a wounding and so the first step with rain is to bring a whole lot of compassion to that wounded place and i'm you know it's like here we are and that it hurts and i'm sorry you're feeling that hurt you know, and and it's really a calling to say, you know, okay, what is it that you know when you're with yourself helps you when you're feeling some sort of a wound? What what do you tell yourself? What do you imagine? What do you remember? Um, I, I I try to think of your words, like you know, trying to talk to myself, like, hey, sweetie, this hurts. You know, this too. <laughs> Um, so let's slow down right here. So just take a moment to do that and see what happens. 
and you might close your eyes. And this is for all of us, wherever we're feeling a vulnerability, just it's so powerful to pause and have some gesture of kindness. And for you, sweetie, this hurts. Just to acknowledge it, just the way we're together acknowledging it. And just to know you care about that, that you want to feel some healing, some freedom with that. So take your time and, and, and genuinely, like from the most sincere, wise-hearted place in you, offer that, offer that care and see what happens. Notice what happens when there's even a bit of kindness and presence with the place that feels hurt. And keep your attention inside and just tell me what you're noticing. Um, I, I feel a sense of like, I'm, I'm here for you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not leaving. Yeah. That's, that's a powerful statement. And what happens? You just took a much deeper breath just then. So what's going on inside? I think it's just a, a, a feeling of just um, feeling more rooted. Yeah. Feeling more rooted is the beginning of healing for you, that you're more, you are more occupying yourself right now. You're more awake inside your being and you're holding yourself in a beautiful way. It's not the end of the process, but you're coming more home to your own power and your own presence. And that's the beginning of well-being, that no matter what happens, you can find a way back to yourself. And that doesn't mean that there aren't really wise actions to take with other people when that kind of thing happens. That's another question. And I'm not minimizing that question, because when things come at you that feel like microaggressions, it becomes important to start finding your way to how you want to express yourself, protect yourself, communicate your truths, whatever. That's important. But the beginning is just what you just did. And you did it beautifully, Priya, really. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate you bringing this one in for the group. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So um, we are closing in and I wanted to just take a few moments as part of closing, really, because I, I so appreciate the, the quality of the questions. Very, they're brave. And um, some of the learning for me is that we always start where we are always just start with where we are. We don't try to get to well-being. We just start with what's here, with, with some with brave kind of presence, with kindness. And it's the same thing with others. We sense where other people are, and we sense from a heart of compassion, what's the next way of paying attention that's going to help them come home a little bit more? So it is a courageous path, and it involves 
opening to the vulnerability, as you can see, and that is the pathway. And also in, and this is the other piece that's really important. And this brings us back to what Mark Nepo was saying is when there's clouds and when we're really caught in the vulnerability and the pain, also in trusting in the something more, that there's an awareness. We might not, we might just have a little bit of it or there's kindness and we might not have too much access but there is something more. There is some goodness in the whole, something sacred that is there even when we're forgetting, that love is always loving us. There's, there's another poem I want to share. This is, uh, again, Mark Nepo. And he says, Everything is beautiful, and I'm so sad. This is how the heart makes a duet of wonder and grief. The light spraying through the lace of the fern is as delicate as the fibers of memory forming their web around the knot in my throat. The breeze makes the birds move from branch to branch as this ache makes me look for those I've lost in the next room, in the next song, in the laugh of the next stranger. In the very center, under it all, what we have that no one can take away, and all that we've lost face each other. It is there that I'm adrift, feeling punctured by a holiness that exists inside everything. I am so sad, and everything is beautiful. So I want to close in that spirit and invite you to let your attention go inside. Take a moment to invite yourself right here. You might feel your breath. You might feel the aliveness of sensation in your body. You might feel the movement or vulnerability of the heart. Taking a moment to adjust your hands so they're both cupped and facing upward, receptive, and choosing one of your hands to take a moment to reflect that you're allowing the vulnerability of your life that you feel right now all to fill this hand. So just connect with where you feel vulnerable in this moment. Where the sorrows, the anger, the fear is here. Just sense that this hand has a space that can hold that and that you're feeling it and holding it gently. A space that's larger than your, your body-mind, just holding it. Acknowledging, feeling, holding. 
And that the other hand, and start feeling the sensations in the other hand, can be a space that holds the beauty, what you're grateful for. You might have certain relationships that come to mind and sense the love in them. You might sense the natural world and what brings up wonder, the goodness that's possible between beings, the kindness. Just fill the other hand with that, with the goodness. Gently bringing the hands together so the cupped hands are touching each other, letting it all be there, the sadness and the beauty, and just sensing the awareness, that which is really witnessing. It's the light that's witnessing and aware. That's that holy space that holds it all, that lives inside you and through you and around you. Sometimes described as the empty, radiant heart space that really holds the sadness and the beauty. Just knowing this heart space as your true home. your refuge, that it's here now always, and we forget and we remember. And as you open your eyes, I'd like to make sure you're on gallery view for our closing meditation with each other. And take a moment to just feel the presence of each other. And you might scroll a little. But then let yourself land on just one person for now. That you are going to deepen your meditation with. And look at that person and just feel that heart space that's letting them in, that you're, you're feeling them. And you might let yourself, and I'm doing this with you, of course, you might let yourself first sense that human's vulnerability, that just like you, this being feels fear and fears failure, fears losses, has experienced loss, beyond words, sense that human heart, the being that's there, and also sense this being's goodness, sense the the loving, the kindness, the wisdom, and then the awareness that's holding it all, that shines through that being's eyes and your eyes and your heart and their heart. You can feel your wish for this person. 
and know you're receiving blessings, real blessings. And then one more time, letting one more person become the center of your attention. And in the same way, sensing their vulnerability, that this person too feels insecure at times, is facing the loss of all that they love, lives in uncertainty. And the goodness that lives in that being, their kindness, their interest in what's really true, their courage to be on the path. And sense the awareness that's here, that's living through both of you, that shared heart space. Offering a blessing, some wish for that person. And then allowing your attention to just, again, take all of us in, just sensing here we all are. And so you're, feel, you're sensing individuals, but also feel into the field that's here and the realness of that shared heart space that really is our home, the source of our well-being, and that energizes us to reach out to live in a way that's really from love. So as a way of really closing, you, we're gonna unmute everybody so you have a chance to, in some way, it's a cacophony, but it's a lovely one, <laughs> to feel each other and hear from each other. You can namaste or goodbye or whatever way you'd like to say farewell for right now. And it's been a pleasure to be with you. Yeah. Bye. 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 Bye